Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. So need for vision, need for hope, seeing the unseen hope, and come and see. So Revelation begins telling us the purpose of the prophetic letter. It is a letter written to people meant to be read in that time. It's also a letter to us. It's telling us what would soon take place. So some of these things that it's going to tell us about did take place, were about to take place in their time frame, and some of them have not yet, even for us, taken place. But it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That can have two different meanings. Um, It could be that he is the source of the revelation, meaning he is the one coming to the Apostle John and telling this news, telling this message. Or it could mean that Jesus is the revelation, that he is the one that is revealed. And I think there's good reason to believe that both are true. He is the messenger, but he's also the content. Uh, He is the main character. He is the one who is coming soon. He is the hero of this story. And we need a vision of Jesus desperately. Desperately. Uh, In Proverbs it says, without vision the people perish. Some of you guys are are starting off your your first uh, weeks in a college campus. Um, and everything's rosy. <laughs> everything's awesome, right? You're in the, the honeymoon phase. And some of you are, are halfway through your career or nearing the end of your college career. And you know, not everything is rosy. The honeymoon phase is long gone. Um, there is a dark side to the college campus that uh, you will see at some point, right? And I'm not talking about partying, drugs, binge drinking, hazing. I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about hopelessness, a lack of hope. Uh, The statistics show that um, 44% of college-age young people have reported signs of depression and anxiety. That's from the Mayo Clinic. I don't know the exact numbers here at BU, but I'm sure anecdotally uh, we could talk about the people we know or even our own stories and struggles with both of those things. Hopelessness, living without hope is is excruciating. And it's a pain, sadly, many of us can speak to. I know I can. And there are promises of hope to bring us out of that hopelessness that often become like sand through our fingers. The thing that we hoped would bring us healing, the thing that we were hoping for just around the Uh, The next semester, the next turn, the next friendship, it's like sand falling through our fingers. We need a hope that endures. We need a hope not just for today, not just for this week, not just for our college career. We need a hope that endures throughout our entire lives. We need a hope that endures beyond even death itself. Where do we go? for that kind of hope. We need a revelation. We need something outside of us to come. And unfortunately, the irony is that we are told that there is something in us that is our hope. 
Um, what I'm speaking of here is, is if we're all carrying around these, these great burdens and we're like, where am I going to get a load off? Where am I going to get this, uh, this great weight off of me? If we see, for instance, we uh, were walking on the, the, the campus the other day, I think it was down Bay State actually, and there's this big banner that says, we are the ones that we've been waiting for. If we constantly hear messages um, that it's up to you, that you have what it takes. In other words, you are the hope. What does that do? Does that lift the burden? No, often we're the ones carrying it. Therefore, we, we need somebody else to take that burden. So the cruel irony is that on top of the burden we're already carrying, another crushing burden comes. But it's up to you. You are the next generation. You are the future. You are the hope. But friends, I think we can say that we need hope outside of us. We can't just look into ourselves for hope. We need something else. We need a revelation. We need something new. Where do we go? Brings us to our second point, seeing the unseen hope. So I'm going to bring us to our next slide. Perfect. Uh, So the Apostle John is the author of the book of Revelation. This was the the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, At the time of the writing of this letter, he was an old man. I'm not sure how old, probably gray-haired. Uh, But he was under, in about 90 AD, persecution from the Roman emperor Domitian. And he was exiled, sent away to this island uh, off of Greece um, called Patmos. And this was not some luxurious vacation. This was exile. This was imprisonment. And yet, even in his imprisonment, he was worshiping. It says on a Sabbath day, on a Sunday. And he uh, was in the spirit So he's probably praying or worshiping God in some way. And he hears this voice, and then he sees this vision. And as you'll see, this voice says, write down what you see, send it to these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These are real uh, churches in modern-day Turkey. And if you map them out, if you look it up, It's north, south, east, west. It's all around. And what we'll see is that this is not just a letter, not just a message for just those churches in that time in history, but it's for all churches in all places and all times, which means it's for you and me. It's for here and now. So what does he see? What is the vision that he's about to write down? Well, he turns and looks in the direction from where the voice had come, and he sees seven lampstands. He later learns that these seven lampstands represent these seven churches. And what does he see? I'm going to start in uh, part of verse 13 and read through 16. You can read along with me. He sees one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet was like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What is this? 
Who is this? I'm going to bring to light three things. It's first, familiar. You might be asking, why in the world would this be familiar? Secondly, it's frightening. And you're probably like shaking your head. Yes, it's very frightening. And third, it's our only hope. So first, it's familiar. This might be the point where you're like, okay, I'm checking out. Revelation is weird. I knew it. I knew it all along. It's about bizarre visions. Um, and, and maybe you're like, I knew it. I'll just stick with the rest of the Bible. Give me the Psalms. Let's go back to the Psalms, you know? Um, But the book of Revelation is only full of symbols and signs and mysteries that are scattered all throughout the entire Old Testament, the entire Bible. And in fact, um, uh, Revelation has more allusions to the Old Testament than all the other New Testament books put together. So in order to understand Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, we need to go back to the first half. Let's go right now to Daniel 7, um, verse 13. Daniel, centuries earlier, another prophet receives a vision. Listen to this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, at the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, shall not be destroyed. And then skipping to Daniel 10, see more. Verse 5, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. If we're to put these side by side, you can immediately start to see things that pop up. Son of man, man in a robe, golden sash, lightning, bronze, his voice like the sound of a multitude. Daniel 7, this phrase, son of man, refers to the long-awaited eternal king from the lineage of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who would, as we sang in these songs, would take our sin on himself, would be the sacrificial lamb for us on our behalf. The Son of Man, Jesus, is situated amidst the lampstands. Um, this would have been a familiar sight to Jewish readers. The priest in the Old Testament temple would have been uh, in the temple surrounded by lampstands, five on either side. Jesus, the Son of Man, is situated among these seven churches, right? As the priest, as the shepherd, is overseeing and looking over his churches. So it's familiar. In that sense, if we understand the Old Testament, it should be familiar. And it would have been familiar in a lot of ways to the original readers, but it's also frightening. His eyes are like a blazing fire. I don't know about you, but this to me just speaks like this is one who has come to seek and destroy. (laughs) This is not something you mess with right? Fire. 
um, this righteous judge who has come. The hair on his head was white like wool. In Daniel 7, it describes God the Father's hair as white. So there's that uh, trinity already kind of in the background here. His feet are like burnished bronze. These are not um, feet of clay. This is one who is solid in his moral position to come and judge the churches and to speak these words, which we'll read in chapter 2 and 3 next week. There's this intensity of of light. If, If it wasn't like fire wasn't enough light, there's stars in his hand. His face was like the full strength of the sun. How do you even see a face? That's the full strength of a sun. And there's, there might have been smell associated with the fire. We, we don't know, but there's certainly sound, right? It says that it was the roar of many waters. That, that's what it was compared to. Have you guys ever been to a waterfall where you can go behind into the cave behind that's cut out behind the waterfall? Have you ever done that? Has it ever been like just so thunderous, this water just like coming down and you can't even hear, you're just like screaming and your voice is hoarse afterwards because you can't even hear the other person next to you. Think of that. This roar, this voice is like the roar of a waterfall. Let's not miss, I mean, put yourself in a seven-year-old's shoes. Let's not miss the wonder and awe that we should have when we read this. And at the same time, this sight, surely to any of us, we would have done the same thing. Flat on our faces. Dropped dead. Not actually dead, but it says like he was dead, right? Flat. He just like, whew, he's out. But the object of this vision, it turns out, is our only hope. I want you to notice this turn here. Because often when we think of a vision of God, we think of someone who's got it out for us. Someone that when he comes, this means the other shoe is going to drop. This means that everything I've ever done is going to be exposed and I'm finally going to get the punishment I deserve. Many of us carry around that, that understanding of that's how God thinks of us and if we were in front of him, that's how he's going to respond, is that he's going to bring down the fire of judgment on us. But look what happens. Look what happens. It says, he laid his right hand on me. He laid his right hand on me. And he said, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Even though his voice was like the roar of many waters, he laid his hand and he said, don't be afraid. Fear not. But think of who he's talking to. While on earth, this was his, one of his three best friends, John. Only a few years before, John had ate with him, talked with him, walked with him. John had seen him hanging on a cross. John had seen him risen from the dead. Here Jesus is saying, fear not, it's me, remember? Remember me. It's me, Jesus, your buddy, your friend. I am alive. You see, John probably also saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And you might think, okay, well, that's 
That's when he actually, that's when Jesus actually died. And I will never see him again. But Jesus is back. He's saying, fear not. I'm alive. I continue to live. I will live forever. I've been given power over death and hell. And I have a message for you to send to the churches. We're going to hear this message this entire semester, but right now I want to focus on I am the first and the last and the living one. He's the first and the last. He's, he's the past that we've all wished would come back, that golden age, that memory that we want back. And he's the future that we're all striving for and we want. You see, all of our hopes in this life are usually one or the other. Right? We're looking to a past and we want that thing back. We want that time back, those people back, those circumstances back, and we're trying to get it back, and that's our hope. Or we're just looking ahead to the future. The past is the past, and we're looking ahead, and that's our hope, and we're building that future. Right? But our hope, it wouldn't be hope if it was with us now. It kind of goes against the logic of hope. But here Jesus is saying, I am the first and the last, I am the past and the future, and I am the living one. I am here now. I am present. There, there's no other hope in this life, in this world, that we can say that about. Jesus is saying, the one you have hoped in, John. The one you placed your faith in. In fact, the one that your ancestors before you, uh, the promised seed of the woman Eve, the promised one, the one that Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah, and Daniel, all the patriarchs, all the prophets, says, I am that one, that ancient one. And I am the one that is coming again. Because I died, I now live, and I will live forever. This is Jesus. He's the hope of the past fulfilled. He's the hope of the future beyond this life and beyond death. He's the only one we can count on in the end of it all. And guys, I want you to hear, he's speaking these words to you now. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. You see, Jesus is alive. He sent his spirit. And wherever the word uh, is read and preached, wherever two or more are gathered, wherever we pray together as believers, he is there. So Jesus is right now here with us. And he wants you to know there's no reason to be afraid. You see, not, your, your sin can't keep you from him. Your death can't keep you from him. Satan, anything in the whole universe can't keep you from his love. He's saying the last word is going to be mine. The last word is Jesus's. I said the last point was going to be short, and it's really just this one line. Come and see. What I want to do is I want to invite you to come and see, and I can't show you on a screen, um, but I can open up a book. 
And I can ask you to read along with me because there are too many words for us to read here on Tuesday nights. I can barely describe it, but come and see the risen Lord, the one who is alive. He is shown to us in these words, in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. So read along with me. Let's pray. Father, we just want you to know we we're thankful for you. We, we're thankful that you don't leave us alone to wonder, even though we do wonder. But you do give us your words to give us assurance of hope and things not seen. And Lord, we long for that day when we, you will come and we will see you and you will make all things new. We long for that in expectation and certain hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.